Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, it's so interesting that there's been some comments made in the, on Sunday and again tonight about the Ministry of Helps because that's exactly what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, it's um, something that I think the Lord put on my heart this weekend, I think before I even heard anybody say anything about the Ministry of Helps. And um, immediately you're going to go, oh, she's trying to get us to go to work. Well, yeah, actually I am. You know, that, that's, that's, that's it. But, you know, when you begin to understand that the ministry of helps is a vital part of the church life, when you understand that it is um, a highly esteemed place in the eyes of the Father, when you understand that you are co-laborers with Jesus himself in the ministry of helps, no matter what it is, you know, you are a co-laborer with him. Do you understand that? You're partnering with Jesus himself when you do anything in the ministry. Now, you know, all ministry of helps is under Jesus. I mean, he is the head and we are the body. And every single believer has got a ministry. Now, if you want to go over with me to First Corinth, no, Second Corinthians, chapter five. This is going to be a, a multi-part thing, so I'm not sure, you know, at what point I'll just stop here on on some particular place tonight, and we'll move on with it at a, another time. But um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said. About it, and so we're gonna we're just gonna kind of dissect it. We're gonna do some things, talk about some things, and some things are gonna be like fun, and some things maybe you need to pull your toes in a little bit, you know. But but we'll see. But you know what? Our toes need to be stepped on ever so often to re- kind of wake us up, remind us of some things. Now in Second Corinthians five, you're gonna find in verse eighteen. Well, you know, let's just this is so good. Let's just back up to 17 just because I like 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Thank you, Jesus. Behold, all things are become new. Are you not grateful that things, certain things have passed away? They are no longer valid, no longer here, no longer in effect. No longer have any hold, any force, any control over me. Hallelujah. All things have become new. And it says, all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us. Who is the us? Us. Give me a definition of who us is. Every believer is us. Every believer. And has given to us 
every believer, the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. There is the ministry for every single believer. Once you say yes to him, I make you my Lord. He has now placed you into the ministry of reconciliation, which means to share what he has just shared with you so that you can deliver the light, be an instrument of delivery of that same life to somebody else. You know, there has to be somebody to show the way. There has to be somebody who tells the good news. What is that that verse over in in the Old Testament about? How beautiful are the feet of those who go out spreading the gospel? You never thought about your feet being beautiful, maybe? Because I don't know anybody that I could actually say has beautiful feet, literally. But according to the Father, he looks at it as beautiful. Beautiful are the feet of those who spread the gospel, the good news. And every single one of us have that function. We have that privilege, we have that honor, and we have that responsibility. Do you hear me? You can say, well, you know, know, my, my faith is private. No, it is not. You can never say that. You're trying to get yourself off the hook if you say that. Your faith will never, in God's eyes, ever be thought of as what's well, a private matter. No, it's not a private matter. We ought to be ready to shout it from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord of my life. And I can tell you all about him. I can tell you what he's done in my life. I can tell you how he's blessed me. I can tell you all these things because you need him as much as I needed him. And I still need him. Every single day of my life, I need him. It's up to us. And it is, what I just said, it is a privilege to be able to take the good news of the fact that Jesus laid down his life, that he shed his blood, that he went to hell and suffered and was raised up after three days and ascended up to heaven and is seated up there today at the right hand of the Father, still making intercession for you and me. It is an honor to know that he did that for me and I can share that with somebody else and make their destiny totally different than what the enemy had planned. You know that old saying, you know, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Listen, the enemy hates you and he has a plan for your life. And we are here to change that in people's lives. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is, that is part of the helps that we have been called to. He can't come down here and do it anymore. He is the only person in heaven with a physical body. He can't come down here. But he sent you. He sent you to be his hands, his feet, his mouth, his ears, his everything. You are the only Jesus people will ever see with these natural eyes. You're it. And you have a responsibility to share it. You can't get away from that. You can't say, well, that's just not me. Yes, it is you. The real you, the one on the inside, the one who's been recreated in the image of God. That real you wants to share the good news with somebody else. The old man, what little bit is left in this flesh, will always say, no, that's just not my personality. I don't give a rip about your personality. 
If your personality doesn't line up with what the Word of God says, if it doesn't line up with what God wants you to do, then you need to change your personality. And you can do that. I'm a high-functioning introvert today because my natural personality is just to be quiet, believe it or not, keep to myself, you know, and and just kind of do my little thing over here in the corner. But God didn't put you here to act like that. He didn't put you here to be shy. He didn't put you here to be timid about the things of God. He puts you here to be a light shining in the darkness, a light set on a hill, a beacon in a place that needs some help. Hallelujah. That's what he's put you here for. He's put you here to operate in the ministry of reconciliation. And when you begin to step into it, there will be a grace and there will be an anointing on you that you have never experienced before. And I'm telling you what, it's addictive. Once you lead somebody to the Lord, you say, give me another one, Lord. Give me another one. Give me another one. Who was it that went out and said that? Was Lester Sumrall was believing God that he would lead a million souls to the Lord in his lifetime. And I believe he did. We should get up every day with, Lord, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to share something. Give me an opportunity to plant a seed. Give me an opportunity to reap a harvest of of something that somebody else has already planted. Just let me help water it. Help me, Lord, to be what you want me to do because I am a minister of reconciliation. You know, it goes on and it says... Here in um, verse 20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I think it's a two-part thing. You know, we've been called to the ministry of reconciliation, and we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? Represents his country in a foreign land. Listen, this is not my home. This place that I live down here, this is not home for me. This is not my true home. My citizenship is in heaven. Glory to God. And that's where, you know, I have been sent from. That's where I've been commissioned from. It's from the throne room of God. And so today we are not only ministers of reconciliation, but we are ambassadors. We are here to represent the place from which our true citizenship comes. We're here to be an example People don't know what a Christian is. They have got their ideas about what Christians are supposed to be like. If you don't operate according to what they're thinking is, well, some Christian you are. Listen, you just be an ambassador for Christ. You just live your life so that you can be truly a representative man or woman of what heaven has already endowed you to be. What heaven has already declared you to be. That what heaven already expects you to be. We are to be here at powder kegs in this life. I, I read something just this week. This, I, I, I don't know the man. I have never heard of him. His last name is Stubb. But it went like something like this. When I die, I want all of hell to rejoice that they don't have to face me every day. <laughs> See, that's what, that's what part of our job. Is to, is to be so involved in the ministry of reconciliation, so determined to be the ambassadors that we need to be for Jesus Christ and to represent heaven as it should be represented, that hell will be happy when you go to heaven. That should be a good goal. Amen. So we are all in the ministry of helps. 
Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it talks about having how God has set some in the Bible. Let's go back a few pages here, and you'll see it. Uh, no, go forward a few, couple of pages. 2 Corinthians. No, first, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians. There's, that's the problem here. 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 28, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Listen, on this earth, we as, as individual believers are ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors. Then part two of that is that God has set some in the body to be in these ministry offices. And when he sets these men and women in these offices, then he sets other people in place to be a help to that ministry. And what is a help? It's someone who assists. Isn't that simple? Just somebody who assists. When God sets these men and women in these places, and especially you know, for our purposes in the local church, underneath a pastor, what we are here to do is to assist that pastor to fulfill the vision and the calling and the directive that he has received from heaven. Around here, we all know the vision of this church is Acts twenty six sixteen, And if you don't know it, go over there and let's take a look at it. It never hurts to back, go back and read it again. Because it needs to be firmly established in him. This is in us that this is what we are here to do. This was a divinely given verse of scripture given to pastor years ago, starting in verse 16. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness. Which means you're supposed to be ministering it and you're supposed to be demonstrating it. Both of the things which you have seen and of those things into which I will appear unto you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. Here it is. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That is the vision of this local body. Every local body should have a vision because every church should be started because the Holy Ghost wanted it started. Not because some family decided that they couldn't run the things in their church anymore, so they'd pull out and go start another one. Hallelujah. And too many churches have been started that way. And they've gone on for generations. You know, and there's some blessing that comes out. But I'm telling you what, when God doesn't start it, is never going to really fully accomplish much of anything because it never had a, a good start, because it never had a, a genuine start. It will never have a genuine vision. And how can somebody hook up in the ministry of helps unless there is a genuine vision from God? So with that in mind, I, I just want to go back, and I have found there's, there's so much about the ministry of helps that you could find in the Old Testament. So let's go back and take a look at some of what's in the Old Testament. Number, uh, first of all, go with me to Exodus 17, 12. And I think this is one of the probably the most blatant examples of the ministry of helps that you could possibly ask for. 
because it literally and figuratively says exactly what we need to see. Here you have the children of Israel in a battle. And it says in verse 11, well, let's see, Joshua is down there fighting. He's a man in the ministry of helps, fighting. Number, verse number 10, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up, on, stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Is that to me is a perfect picture of the ministry of helps. A man who has a divine job to do. And he has it, but he cannot do it in and of his own strength. He cannot do it by himself. The battle is the Lord's, but I'm telling you what, there's still a, there's still a place for all of us to get in there and work. And so here you see Aaron and her took his hands and held them up. Now, it had to be Moses. They couldn't take their hands and hold them up. That wasn't going to do any good. That wasn't going to change anything. It had to be Moses. See, in the local body, it can't be what you want. We're going to move down some rabbit trails in the next week or two. We're going we're gonna to say some things, you know, might get a little tough, but that's okay. It couldn't be what they wanted. It couldn't be their ability. It couldn't be, well, let me, let me do this. You know, listen, it came from the head. Moses was the guy in charge. It had to be his hands. Nobody else's hands are going to work. Nobody else's hands are going to cause that battle to go the way it needed to go. But he needed assistance. He needed help. Aaron and her held his hands up, and as long as his help was there, his hands were steady. No church can function just on the ability and the strength of the pastor. It can't function just on the strength of the pastor and the staff. It's got to have more than that for it to be steady, for the thing that needs to be accomplished to be accomplished. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And uh, so that, to me, is the very first place where I see the ministry of helps is in effect. Just so obvious right there. Now go with me to Numbers 11. Hallelujah. Now, do not stay home just because I've given you some warning about talking about some of these things. It won't be that bad, I promise. I just, you know, my, my bark is better than my bite. You know that. Hallelujah. Nobody said amen to that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Numbers 11. Let's start in verse 10. When Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses was also displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, Wherefore have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Oh, how many times have I probably could, could tell you some pastors who have said the same thing. Lord, why have you placed all the burden of these people on me? There, there are some, you know, there are some whining moments even in the pastorate. <laughs> 
It says, have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nursing father bears a sucking child unto the land which you swore unto your fathers? When should I have the flesh to give all unto this people? For they weep unto me, saying, give us flesh that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. But if you... If thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in your sight, let me not see my wretchedness. Oh, my heavens, is that kind of like a poor pity party going on right there? Oh, just kill me, Lord. Just kill me. Verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon you and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you shall not... Bear it yourself alone. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what, how God looks at the ministry of helps? He wants to take of the same spirit that's on your pastors and take it and distribute that amongst every person who is in the ministry of helps. If you go on down, you know, that you'll find out that some of the, some of the men came, came uh, were prophesying and Someone came to, to Moses and said, you know, there's people out there prophesying. Oh, got to stop them, got to stop them. In verse 29, Moses said, Envious thou for my sake, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Thank God he did just that. In the Old Testament, that was not possible. But in the New Testament, it is not only possible, it is ordained by God that every person should have the Spirit of God upon them, in them and upon them. And, and I just see that, you know, there is, you, you can say that this way, that there is no way, again, that one person can take, can take the burden of the actual functioning of a ministry upon themselves. Now, the vision belongs to the pastor. Because it's given to him from God. But as we begin in in a local body to begin to participate within the local body, God takes that same spirit that he placed on the pastor, not in the same measure, but he takes that same spirit, a portion of it, and he puts upon every single person who is willing to be serving in any place. Any place. You know, growing up, I, my dad was a pastor from the time I was a baby until I was a teenager. And during that time, you know, I did every conceivable thing there was to do, just about. As a kid, I mean, you know, church needed sweeping, guess who swept it? This needed doing, guess who did it? You know, we, we were in a situation where we lived next door to the, to the church. Not a good thing. Somebody's always said, why don't you build a parsonage here on the back, back of the property? I went, there is no way I am living next to the church. None. Son. No, no way. No way. But, you know, what I remember growing up, my dad was in one church from, which back in those days was very unusual for them to be there, you to be a pastoring in one location for more than just a couple of years. Our denomination liked to move people around. Why, I don't know. Because you just barely get to know the people of the congregation when suddenly they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to switch you. We're going to put you over here. We're going to bring this pastor and put them over back here in your church. And, da, 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 da. and it just didn't make a bit of sense. But uh, my dad had been at this one church for like six years. And um, that was a highly unusual. Now, 
to be honest with you, during that six years, it was it was a struggle for a lot of reasons that I won't go into. But during that time, the, when we went to this particular church, I mean, I was like three or four. I think I was four years old, and I barely remember you know the beginning of it. But I do remember that the church was an old wooden building, and it was very um, rickety. And so, and so, the time came. You know, we they started talking about building a new church, and. So, you know, a block church, I mean, it was not, I, I'm sh- I do not expect, I don't believe that there was ever an architect involved in this. You know, you just kind of went out there and did it. We lived in the country, and this is where I went to school that you didn't have to wear shoes. So, you know, I don't think the inspectors were out there either. <laughs> if the shoes weren't on, you know, the inspectors didn't come out there. But anyway, you know, the people of the church said, yep, yep, let's, let's build a church. Well, um, that all went really well for the first few months, and then everybody lost interest. Now, my dad pastored during all those years. He never had a, a church that he pastored that was self-supporting. He always had to work another job. And so he worked construction. He became a painter. He, he would go out. He'd be painting all day. He'd come in. He'd come in. He'd have supper. Then he'd go next door, you know, just 100 feet away, and he'd work on the church. Every single night. Every single night. You know, and, and as I recall, there was, my dad didn't single-handedly build that church. But I'm telling you what, he put more, more into it than anybody else did because, you know, it's a big project. I got other things to do. So people, you know, they come intermittently, show up. That's not how God intended it to be. The day came when the church got finished and everybody was super happy about it. But, I, you know, looking back, I'm, I look at it and I think, hmm, how much did you put into it? How much did you put into it? I remember we paid the church off. We spent, we spent 10 years from the time we moved into this building. Doug was, was always saying that we're going to pay this church off early. We're going to pay this church off early. We're going to pay this church off early. And then pastor just, just the Lord spoke to him and said, this is the year to pay it off. In 2012, God supernaturally endowed people with money and finances. And we paid the thing off. We paid it off before the end of the year. And, you know, as I recall, come January, we had the big note burning, if y'all recall that. And we had the tent out back, and, and we, we did big, you know, lunch for everybody and, and everything. And, and I recall the church paid for all the catering and all the tents and the chairs and everything that went into it. You know, we just paid for it just, 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 just as a celebration. And I remember some people and, and they were just all so excited about it and, and wanted to bring family to this, to the dinner that didn't go to church here and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and particularly, you know, I'm thinking about somebody that, that was just so, oh yeah, this is great. We've paid the church off. This is wonderful. And I thought, honey, I just paid more for your lunch than you put in that building fund in 10 years. That's a true story. That is a true story. It's amazing who wants to rejoice when the job's all finished, but who won't help get it there. See, God does not intend for 
any of us to sit there and do nothing or next to nothing and then have a place to rejoice when the vision has come to pass, when the work's all done, when, when the, there's, there's fruit to enjoy. He intends for us all to put our hand to it and to do something. And when it's a big project and when it's just a day-to-day in Day in and day out kind of thing. I know the, the things that get done around a church are, are sometimes monotonous. We do the same things over again. There's babies to take care of every service. There's children to teach every service. There's lights to turn on every service. There's a sound system to run every service. You know, there's things that have to be done all the time. And sometimes it's kind of gets, well, you know, it's no big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Because who do you think is going to do it if you don't? God didn't call the pastor to do all the work. He called the body to do the work. He called the pastor to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. And that's what we're here to do. We're all to share in it. We're all to share in it. It's not fair for a few people to. In most churches, they say the average is like an average of 20% of the people do like 90% of the work. That's really not true around here. But could we do better? Yes, we could do better. Are there more things we would like to be doing? Yes, there are. But until the things that are already in progress get done well, get done fully staffed, there's no point in adding anything. Well, I'm off on a rabbit trail. Sorry. Anyway, uh, Exodus 18 Verse 13 through 26, you can just see again where Moses was under the gun, under pressure. We won't read it all because we've kind of already made this point. Under the gun, under the pressure, and his father-in-law came to him and said, you are crazy. You cannot do all of this. You need to set this up where some other people are here to help you. He did. It was a good thing. Uh, You see in 1 Samuel chapter 3 where the child Samuel was brought to the temple. He served Eli, the high priest ministry of helps at a young age. See, that's why we love getting our our children involved in some things. There are children who are in the ministry of helps in Faith Island. They serve over there in Faith Island, you know, don't they, Mel? Yeah, they, they do different things. There are children, there are, there are kids who serve, you know, in different capacities during the youth service over there. There are children who, once they get to a certain age, you know, they're in the youth group, they're, they're able to serve in some of the other departments right here in the primaries and the tie tots. And thank God for them. They're such a blessing. It's such a wonderful training ground to have them in here doing those kind of things. It puts a real heart to serve in them. Um, and so I just see Samuel as a, as a wonderful example of how at your early age, he learned to be a servant in the house of God, learned to be a blessing to the, the current high priest, and uh, it serves us well today to understand that our children can be taught that. But you know one of the best ways we can teach our children to be part of the ministry of helps is to be a part of the ministry of helps. To demonstrate that to them by our example. Amen. If you go on, you'll see over in in 1 Samuel 16 where David served Saul. He became his armor bearer. Armor bearer is the the guy who's there to do anything and everything the king needs. Just whatever you need, whatever you need. I know uh, some people have made a big thing about an armor bearer uh, in the last few years as though there's something really significant and special about Every person in the local church is an armor bearer for the pastor. I don't know what that is. There are some people who are more committed 
to certain areas of ministry, and you guess you could call them an armor bearer. I, you know, I just think anybody has that capacity to be called an armor bearer in a, in a church setting. Um, then there's a wonderful whole passage. If you go to 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings Hallelujah. First Kings 19, verse 19. It says, so this is talking about Elijah. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he, that's Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, then will I follow thee. And he, that's Elijah, said unto him, Elisha, go back again, for what have I done to you? What have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Listen, right here, the prophet Elijah comes by where Elisha is plowing. Now, anybody who's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen is not a dirt farmer. He's a very wealthy farmer to have that many oxen that he's plowing with. So he had a very good and established life. And yet when the call of God came, when Elijah threw his mantle on him, Elisha immediately ran after him and said, what? Let let, let me do this. Let, let 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 me go back and kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. Now Elijah turned around to him and says, Go back, you know, for what I'm about to do with you. Basically, he was letting Elisha know that it wasn't Elijah who was calling him, that there was a higher purpose going on here, that God was coming. Now, what Elisha had to do at this point was to make a decision. He had to make a decision that for him, between him and God. See, you can't make decisions for other, other, other people. You can encourage other people to do what they should do, what they ought to do, but the decision to actually do it has to be made between that person and God. And Elisha went back, killed the oxen, had a sacrifice, gave the people to eat, turned and went with Elijah. He and God had to come to a place where Elisha said, I'm burning my bridges. I'm following you. I'm following the man that came by and cast his mantle on me. I will serve him. Now, he did not say, I will serve him for a year or two years. He said, I will serve him. How many times have we heard people come in our doors and say, oh, this is the most wonderful place. I know God has sent me here. And two weeks later, they're gone. Seriously. Happens all the time. Somebody, I'm here, I'm going to be here, this is where God has sent me. And they take the membership class, you know, within, within two or three months, and then you never see them again. It's just like weird. Please don't take the membership class. Please don't do that. Then you'll disappear. No, no, okay. Okay. But see, Elisha made a quality decision. It was a lifetime commitment. He had not a clue 
what God was opening up to him. Elijah didn't say, listen, I throw my mantle on you because God has already told me that he's going to raise you up to follow me after I'm gone. No. He had no no inkling. He just knew that his job was to go with Elijah and to serve him. That's all he knew. Now, I'm not sure exactly how many years he served Elijah, but don't you think that somewhere along there that he kind of got... There were days when they weren't quite as wonderful as other days. When probably the humanity of Elijah, because we know about Elijah, a man of like passions, uh, there were probably some days where he was testy. There were some probably some days he was hard to get along with. There were some tasks that he wanted Elisha to do that maybe Elisha would really rather not have done that weren't just maybe the you know, the best things in the world. Maybe they're just too mundane. But you don't see any record here of his ever complaining about any way that he served that man. You don't see it. Wouldn't that be wonderful in the church today? I'm here to serve my church, serve my pastor, serve the vision that God has placed in his heart that he wants fulfilled in this area and not complain. Oh, that's quiet. That's quiet. What was it Steve said on, on Sunday night, you know, that the American way is not God's way? And too often in the church, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm free to make my own decisions. I'm free to do what I want. I'm free, to, I'm free to have an opinion. No, you're not. Not in God's way of thinking. Not in God's divine order. You're not. Now, does I, do I think you have put yourself to be an abuse, abusive situation in the church? No. Have I ever seen those kind of situations? Yes. No, but when a pastor puts his flock first and a flock puts their pastor first, then you've got a marriage made in heaven, and that's the way it ought to be. But it requires some effort. It does. I'm sure that for Elisha, there were times when it required some effort of him not to get discouraged, not to get put out, not to get to a place where he was like, I cannot believe I'm having to do this. You know, you don't have to do anything. You get to do it. For Elisha, he had made a commitment. When he killed those oxen, when he burned that yoke, he said, this is a lifetime commitment. This is, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. He made this choice without qualification. He made it without hesitation. He made it without strings. He made it without demands. He made it without boundaries. He just said, There's the man of God, and I'm going with him. Wherever he goes, I go. That's that's it. That's it. I'm there to serve him. He never lost sight of his objective. Isn't that interesting? And isn't that wonderful? He never lost sight of his objective to walk with that man everywhere he went. You know, I if you went go over to to uh, First Kings or Second Kings chapter one, it wasn't all mundane. If you read this chapter here, chapter 1, about uh, the king Ahaziah and how he sent men to, to Elijah. He, couldn't, he didn't send them originally to Elijah. He sent his men over to uh, the priests of Beelzebub to, to find out whether this sickness that he had gotten was going to be his, 
cause of his demise. Well, when Elijah found out about it, he goes, you know, why, why would you not come to me instead of going to some, some dead God? And uh, 50 men came to him, and he called fire down from heaven, burned them all up. King sent another 50, same thing happened, burned them all up. Third group of 50 came, and the, and the captain of those 50 goes, please don't, no, 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 no. And uh, then he went with them. And he went to the king and said, nope, what you've got, you're dying from. But can you imagine <clears throat> my boss man calls fire down from heaven and consumes a hundred men? Ooh, maybe I better be careful about what I say around him. <laughs> Ooh. But of all the years that he was with Elijah, he was learning. He was learning to step into a place of authority. He was learning to step into a place where God would back him up. He was learning so many things, and he kept on going. Second Kings chapter 2, hallelujah. Verse 1, it came to pass, and the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. I pray you, for the Lord sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said to him, as the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. You're not leaving me behind, bud. I'm going with you. And then he goes on. The sons of the, in verse 3, the sons of the prophets that were Bethel came forth to Elijah, saying to him, Know you not that the Lord will take away your master from you, from your head today? And he said, I know it, so be quiet. See, I'm paraphrasing the new king, out of the King James here. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, uh-uh, as the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, don't you know the Lord's going to take your master away from you today? He says, yes, I know it. Hold your peace. Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. He said, as the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. And they went, the two went on. And it goes down, and it says that uh, in verse 9, it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you. See, Elisha still doesn't know what's about to take place. He knows Elijah's about to leave, but he does not know what his leaving will do in his life. He just knows, I've been following this man, I've been serving this man, I've been ministering to this man, and I'm not leaving him now. Not till the, no, I'm not leaving him. So he asked him, well, Elisha, what would you want me to do for you? And Elisha said, I pray you, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, I don't know when he asked that, if he knew what he was actually asking. Did he understand that he was asking for a double anointing of the prophet's ministry or just that spirit of God that was just on him? Just, just let, let, let me have some of that. Can I have a double portion of that? Not knowing that it was going to take him so far that he would actually be a man who would have twice as many miracles in his ministry recorded as Elijah did. But he said, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be so unto you. But if not, it shall not be so. See, Elijah right here is saying to him, if you stick with me right to the very end, you'll have it. See, there's always opportunities for the enemy to say, you're better off just to quit now. 
you're better off just to leave now. He's about to leave. You know, you might as well just go on about your business, go find some other job, go do some other church, go somewhere other place, do something else. But no, he stuck with me. Elijah said, if you stick with me, you stick with me all the way, you'll have that. You'll have exactly what you asked for. You know, and I just so appreciate Elisha for sticking through it all. There are good times and there are bad times, even in churches. There are times when churches go through different things where it's on an upswing and sometimes it doesn't seem like it's an upswing. Sometimes it feels like it's a struggle. But stick with it. If that's where God has called you, if that's where God has placed you, if that's where God has anointed you, stick with it. There's blessing in the end. There's blessing to come out of it. You will reap the benefits of sticking with it. Just like Elisha did. You know, you see in, in verse 12 where he went up and it says in, uh, it says here, Elisha saw it, this is when he was taken up, and he said, cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. That whole phrase, my father, my father, is not something that's real typical. And it really is, it's just a term of endearment because he was so close to Elijah. It was... He, he didn't want him to leave. Oh, he, you know, stay with me. And yet, God was taking him. Now it's time for Elisha to move on. Listen, there's always God's timing. Always God's timing. Do people get put into a church for life? I don't necessarily believe that. But I do know this. You need to stay where God puts you until he tells you otherwise. See, God never spoke to Elisha again saying that now it's time for you to go. Now it's time for you to, to move on to something else. I've got something good for you down here. Elisha, why don't you go out and do your own thing? No, when it's God's timing, he'll tell you. Years ago, when we were in a discouraged place, in the middle of the night, we're still both awake. And pastor says to me, why don't we just pack up and go back to Tulsa? I'll go second year, and you can go first year. And I went, dear God, man, I'm not going out there, out there out of the will of God. It was tough enough when we were in the will of God. See, you need to stay where the will of God is. Don't get yourself out there where you're, where you're out of the will of God. It's a tough place to be. Elisha knew where he was supposed to be, and he stayed put. Listen, I'm telling you, when God puts you someplace, until he says otherwise, you stay put. Amen. Because really in Luke 16, 12, there's, here is the, the whole concept. If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Elisha proved himself faithful. And when he did, and he proved himself faithful to the nth degree, right down to the time when Elijah went home, went to heaven, God gave him something absolutely marvelous and wonderful. And so, with that, I think maybe we ought to stop. Uh, I could, there's some verses in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, where it says, God has set the members in the church just as it pleases him. Uh, we'll just look at Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians. Isn't, isn't it marvelous to see the, the ministry of helps just demonstrated in the Old Testament? You know, when you start looking for certain things you mean, it's, and you finally find them, you go, oh, that was so obvious all along. 
You know, the Old Testament, you know, there were just very few people who had the Spirit of God, the anointing on them. But, you know, like I said earlier, it's wonderful to know that that same Spirit resides and abides on the inside and on us as believers in the New Testament. God's got something for every single one of us. And there's, there's reasons why he puts us together. Um, like I said, First, First Corinthians says he set the members in the church just as it pleases him. In First uh, Corinthians, I mean Ephesians two twenty one, it says, "In whom all the building fitly framed together grows." Fitly framed together. Your growth depends on how you're fitted together. Do you know that? Whether you will grow in the things of God or not really is connected to how you are fitted with others in the local body. Uh, It says in verse 22, In whom you are also built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now go with me to chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 16. It says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. There's a lot more joints in the body of Christ than there are joints in your natural body. Every joint. We're, we're all joints because we're all connected. Do you understand that? We're all connected to one another. And it says, there, we're ready to go. Four, 16. There we go. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. It's vital that we are part of the Ministry of Helps for you. We look at the Ministry of Helps sometimes and we think, well, it's just benefiting the church. No, it's benefiting you. It's a benefit and a help to you. And we'll talk some more about it the next time. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.